What a good morning that we have today. Man, it's awesome. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I didn't grow up with Christian parents. I didn't grow up in the church. But I had some friends that decided, hey, we got invited to go to this church. Let's go. And got invited to go and ride this church bus from one town to another town to a church. And I was eight years old at the time. And I heard the preaching, and they invited people to come up if they wanted to know more about who this Jesus character was. I didn't know who Jesus was. I had never really heard the name other than in vanity. And they shared the gospel with me. Specifically, they shared the Romans road. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again, you will be saved. And I go, I want this. And I went through the sinner's prayer and I prayed and I was baptized at eight years old as a non-Christian household at this random church I got invited to go to. And today we get to celebrate that Alice gets baptized at eight years old, raised in a Christian household and raised in the church, raised with a lot of people pouring into her. How beautiful is that? The gospel is shared and experienced in many ways, but the truth of the gospel never changes. And what we're starting to see in John is we're seeing some comparisons of Jesus sharing the truth of who he is and different responses. So today we're going to really just be back at the woman at the well. John chapter 4, again, for the fourth week, 4 and 4, I think that's great. Now, I promise you today, I'm not going to go into the depths of the, what the water signifies, what the living water is, and I'm not going to go into a lot of the historical and religious context of why the Jews hated the Samaritans. I wish I had time, but I'm not going to today. If you want that, Nathan and David has done amazing jobs the last few weeks, and they're going to do a lot better job than I could do. So I want to encourage you if you've missed those Sundays, go check those out because we're not going to spend time on that today. Instead, we're going to look at Nicodemus and the woman at the well and the response and the narrative that John is sharing with us. See, John 1, John gives this explanation of who Jesus is, this big doctrinal information. And the next few chapters is actually John in narrative form explaining how those are lived out practically. So let us take a moment to pray, and then we're going to really dive into John chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open up to John chapter 4. We're going to walk through that today. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, there's a black Bible, and that is yours to keep today. So let us pray. Dearly Father, I praise you for who you are, that you are the creator of everything we know that you are a merciful God that sent Jesus to pay a price that we could never pay ourselves. And as we dive into your word and study of who Jesus is, what's going on with the woman at the well, we pray you open up our minds and our hearts to receive your word, that we may store in us a passion to follow you more, to know you more, and to live out the gospel in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you don't remember, I'm going to give you a little overview of Nicodemus. We're going to touch on this, and we'll be in John chapter 4. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. 
He knew his Bible in and out. And be honest, he knew his Bible better than probably any of us in here. He would have had the Torah, the first five books memorized. He would have taught it. How many of you have ever taught something? Explain somebody, it's like teach them a skill or teach them the Bible. As a teacher, you know more than the student because like, you dive so much into it and you can't possibly pass that off as much. Nicodemus was a teacher, so he would have known it inside and out. And he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night to be hidden, to not be seen by others, to question Jesus. And Jesus, long story short, tells him, you must be born again. You must be born of spirit and water. Nicodemus, stuck on the physical realm, goes, well, how am I supposed to do that? Am I supposed to go back up to my mom? It's a little weird to think about, but he, he didn't understand what Jesus was teaching. He did not understand what Jesus meant by the Spirit. He had the knowledge, he had the truth, he had the Bible, but the Spirit was lacking. And at the end of the story, it moves on. We don't know Nicodemus and how he responded, if he responded, or if he didn't. If he believed or he didn't believe, we don't know that. But we know that he had the truth, and his hang-up was the spiritual idea, the Spirit of God, being born of Spirit. We see that hang-up there, and the story moves on. And then we pick it up in the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus did not baptize, but only his disciples, he went to Judea and, parted for, and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Interesting that John writes he had to pass through Samaria. Because if you listen to Nathan, you've seen the geographic. Most people bypassed and went around Samaria. So it wasn't like a, a physical have to, but there's a reason he had to be there. So he came to Samaria to a town called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given it to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Je Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Would have been about noon. Been middle of the day, the hottest part of the day. Jesus is wearied from his travels. He's tired. He's worn out. So he goes, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit by this well here. Now, it's interesting that John is actually saying Jesus is wearied because up to this point, all we see John doing is saying Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. That is Jesus. But here we see John actually pointing out something, that Jesus is wearied. He's tired. How many of you, have, how many of you ever went on a really long journey? How many of you walked for miles or rain for miles? You get tired, right? I get tired driving long distance. I couldn't imagine walking that. And here we see John actually emphasizing Jesus' humanity. Jesus is fully human. And you know what? Humans get tired when they walk and travel long distances. He's thirsty. He's hungry. And this is really the first time that John points out Jesus' humanity and the physical effects of our human form. We get tired. And that's normal. And so John here is pointing out that Jesus is just like us. We get wearied. We get tired. 
And he stops at this well in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day. Picking up in John 7. A woman from, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away from him into the city to buy food. They were hungry, so they went to Chick-fil-A or Pizza Hut or something. They're going to go get some food and bring it on back. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dairy dealings with Samaritans. The Jews hated Samaritans for religious, historical reasons. Nathan, I, I want to encourage you, look up his sermon, check it out. He did a great job of really explaining why there was this almost justifiable hatred between them. And so she's going, Jesus, why are you talking to me? I'm a woman, for one. And rabbis did not stop to talk to women and teach women. That did not happen at this time frame, this time period. They would teach other men. And so for Jesus to talk to a woman by himself, this is very strange. This is very odd. And also she's a Samaritan. So Jesus is talking to Samaritan at this well, asking for a favor. And she's going, whoa, this, this is wrong. This, something's off here. Why are you talking to me? Jesus answered her. Totally avoids the real question that she's asking, but goes to the heart of a bigger issue. If you knew the gift of God, who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. This well probably would have been 100, 150 feet deep. I get a well at my house, it's about 250 feet deep, according to my, my survey thing. And I got a pump. I got electricity. I love it. I don't have a long rope in a jar that I got to slowly go down, grab the water and pull it, yank it back up. And here she says, you don't, you're talking about living water, but this is deep. It's 100 feet down and you don't even have anything to draw it with. Like this is odd. This is weird. What do you mean you got living water? You can't even draw the water from here. Where do you get that living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Going back to the fathers, the one that gave this well. The patriarchs of religion. Are you greater than Jacob? What do you think the answer is to that? Is Jesus better than Jacob? Yes. Does Jesus tell her, yeah, I'm better than Jacob? I'm greater than him? No. Because she's asking questions that are not to the heart of the issue of what Jesus is there for. He gave us this well and drink from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water, water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I would not be thirsty or have to come to draw water from here again. Now we got to touch on a few things. This woman is coming to this well in the middle of the day. The hottest part of the day. Now this is not normal. Normally you would go in the morning. You'd go with your lady friends. How many of you have ever gone on a trip with multiple guys and multiple girls and went to like a concert or something? When women go to the bathroom, do they go by themselves? No, they go together. 
I don't know. I'm just, if I go to the bathroom, I'm going to get my job done and I'm leaving. But they go together. A, there's safety in that. There's protection. I'm not alone. But there's also that, that friendship, that camaraderie. So back in that time, you'd go in the morning and you'd go get your water. You'd go with all your lady friends. And you'd talk about how your husband is a wonderful, amazing husband. Or he's like me and thinks he had a conversation with his wife. And I'm sure I did, but I obviously didn't have a conversation. I did not tell my wife that today was the day my daughter was getting baptized until yesterday. I, in my head, I did. And so, you know, if she was going to go the morning, this morning to go get water, she'd be like, can you believe what Jimmy did? He didn't even tell me what was going on today. Like, that's what they did. They came together and as groups, as friends. You wouldn't go in the hottest part of the day when the sun's beating down and it's hot and it's miserable. But here she is. And when Jesus is talking about this living water, she goes, give me it so I don't have to come to this well again. So I don't have to come to this well in the middle of the day by myself. Because for some reason... She's separated from her community. There's some distinction going on there. So she's thinking this physical reality is this well is deep. You don't have anything to draw it up with. Where's this physical well that you're talking about? Because I don't want to have to do this anymore. She's stuck in this physical understanding. You know, in our history books, we read a lot about people journeying and trying to find the fountain of youth. They travel, they voyage to find this magical fountain that is going to give them life. In a way, that's what she's asking for. Where do I go to draw that? And I'm, I'm satisfied. And Jesus, again, does not answer her question that she's asking. But he does in a different way, a deeper way. Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying that, you ha that I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not even your husband. What you have said is true. The woman he said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Here's this Jew, this person, an outsider, that comes to this woman at the well and says, You're right. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. Her response is, you must be a prophet because you know me. You know something about me that you should not know. And so her natural response is, well, then you must be a prophet. You must be from God because you know stuff that you should not know. And then she asks this question. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know the Messiah is coming, He who is called the Christ. 
When he comes, he would tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, it's easy to think if the woman is just got called out, and more than likely, there's kind of two situations going on here with the woman at the well. One is she's an outcast from her community, and it could be they just don't like her. There could be issues there. It could be that she has a sin issue because she's had five husbands. Maybe she was married to a guy. He died. The brother married. He died. And it could have passed on. We, that could have happened. It seems more so when you look at she's coming in the middle of the day, the culture of the time, the readers of when they read this. More than likely, she probably had some divorces. At least now, the last one, she's probably in an adulterous relationship. But the point of the story is not her sin. And sometimes we like to harp on that, that this is how wretched this woman is and Jesus is coming to her. But what does Jesus say? You've had five, the one you're with now is not your husband. So what I think Jesus is doing here is Jesus is saying, I know you. I know your sin. And she thinks he's a prophet. And what he's really doing is like, I know the depths of who you are. And her response is... Some people might say it's a challenge. Well, then what do we worship? You say this and others say this. Like, what's the truth? You're the prophet. When you read her response and the way this story is written, I don't think that's what's going on here. I think there's a conviction going on. And she's going, okay, you're a prophet from God. You know me. Obviously, something's going on here. Where do I go to repent? Because obviously, I just got called out. Do I go here or do I go there? I think there's a humility to her in this as I'm reading it. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong there, but I'm reading it. I really think she's going, well, our ancestor says worship here. This is where the altar was built. But you say it's Jerusalem. We got to go. Where do I go? Where did I do to repent from this? Again, the focus isn't on this is how wretched and sinful she is. That is not how John writes this. John is writing this to, to drive us to know who Jesus is better. And it's interesting that Jesus' response is that there's a time coming and is now here. It's today that people will worship in spirit and truth. You don't have to go to this high place, this high mountain. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. But I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed one. And the time is now that you can worship anywhere and any place. You don't have to go to these special places. And it's interesting that Jesus, at this point, remember John starts this story that why is he at the well? He's wearied. He's tired. John reveals his humanity that Jesus was fully human. and He understands our experience of being tired and hungry and thirsty. And it's here at this time that Jesus says, I am he. I am the Messiah and my hour is now. Remember back when Jesus was at the wedding feast and they ran out of wine. His mom comes to him and says, hey, help us out here. What does Jesus say? My hour has not come. He's not in Jerusalem. He's not with the Pharisees. He's not with the Jews. He's in this small place, this, this, this Sychar, the this Samaria that the Jews hated, the outcasts. 
She, he's with the outcasts of a community. He's with the outcasts of the outcasts saying, my hour is now. Jesus is revealing himself to a complete 100% outsider and drawing her in. I want you to catch that. It is the outsider of outsiders that Jesus is revealing who he is to. And I think that is important to understand that there's often people we overlook that need Jesus. And those might be the ones that Jesus is going to reveal himself to. That's what we see here. And just then, after this big moment, this big crescendo of Jesus saying, I'm the Messiah, he reveals himself to this woman, the disciples come. And if you haven't noticed yet, the disciples seem kind of dense at times. They kind of miss the point. And if it was like a, a, a Greek story, this would almost be like the comic relief of the story. It was like, oh, that's kind of funny. Because they come up and they marveled that Jesus was talking with a woman in verse 27. They marveled, like, what's going on here? But catch this. No one said, what do you seek? No one asked the woman, it's like, hey, what are you here for? Do you need something? Can we help you out with something? What are you looking for? Lady, what, or can we help you with something? Like, what's going on? They also doesn't ask, they don't ask Jesus, why are you talking with her? What's the whole point of this? They wonder it, but they never say it. Must have been kind of awkward, I think. When they walked up, because here you see in verse 28, so the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Must have been kind of awkward. They're kind of standing around going, this is weird. And she kind of goes, all right, I'm going to go now. And she goes to town. And what does she do? Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Now, if she's the outcast of the community, something is going on here because they respond and they come. And she's saying, ultimately what she's saying to them is, this man, this guy out in this wilderness I just met at this well, he knows me. He knows the depths of who I am. What is she doing? She's sharing her testimony. And testimonies are a powerful thing. She's saying, there's this guy I just met and I think he's the one because he knows me. He knows everything I've ever did. That means he knows the good things, the bad things, the sinful things, the great things. He knows the depths of who I am. And she says, come check him out. Come and see for yourself who this is. She's inviting them into this, this new relationship that she doesn't quite understand of worshiping God in spirit and truth, what Jesus just said to her. And she tells them, this guy, he knows me. He told me everything I knew. He had no right to know any of this stuff. Come check him out. Come and see. And that's ultimately what a testimony is. Sometimes we think of our testimonies. We think, okay, I need to write this all out. Who was I before Jesus? Who, how did I meet Jesus? What happened after Jesus? What is the theological understanding about every point of that? And we need to be ready to have this complete theological discussion of who Jesus is, why he's here, why we need him. This, this is how it all wraps in my testimony. And that can be a really good testimony. There's time for that. But here, her testimony is this. Jesus knows me. 
And this just happened, and I want to share it with you, and I want to bring you in. And that should be our testament. What is God doing in our lives? What is God doing right now? What has He done in the past? And then we invite people in to see it. Which is why we really encourage your kids, as they get older, to sit with you in the service. Alice has been from... When she was like, wee little, like fitting right here, has been in church with us our entire lives. And as a baby, she was quite annoying. We would sit in the back, kind of like we have the back pews here. We had the big doors that opened up, and there was a carpeted foyer out there. And she was never content with standing or balancing or sitting. Like, I literally would be out there trying to listen to the sermon, walking back and forth like this for... The entire sermon at times. And I did this so much that we had a deacon named Howard. I think A.V. Church needs a deacon named Howard. <laughs> and he goes to me, he's like, you're going to have to buy us a new carpet. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you're walking so much and pacing back and forth, you're going to wear a hole in the floor. And then she was in Sunday school. She sat through many services with us. And I'll be honest, when you have kids in service, they can be annoying they can be distracting. Maybe they're coloring. Maybe they're playing with toys. Maybe they start bickering and fighting. And you're trying to like, shh, shh. I'm trying to pay attention to the sermon. I've done that many Sundays. But here's the beautiful thing is they are seeing the truth preached. They're seeing the worship in spirit. And that is what this woman is doing. She's saying, come join us. Let us see who Jesus is together. And that's why we invite our kids into service to be a part of it, to see and experience it. And while she's going out and she's sharing her testimony, she's telling the people, come, check out this, this guy, this Messiah. I think he's the one. He knows the depths of who I am. The disciples, as though they are clueless as all get out, are urging him, Rabbi, Eat. And he said to him, Jesus says to them, I have food that you don't know about. So they said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Did, did you sneak him a PB&J? Did you leave something behind? Like, what does he mean he has food that we don't know about? We've been hungry. We've been traveling this distance. Did you sneak him some food? We just went to the town to get food for him. But did you sneak him some food? Like, which one of you, which one of you did it? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving the wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows... And another reaps. I sent you to reap for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into the labor. So they're worried about food. And Jesus says, I have something more. Remember, he's wearied. He's tired. He's thirsty. He's hungry. But when he talks about living water, this water that's going to well up, you'll never be thirsty again. What he's saying is my satisfaction is far greater because my satisfaction do what God calls me to do. If I eat, if I drink, I'm going to be hungry and thirsty again. But there's something greater than that. And while this woman is going to town and saying, Come see a man who knows me. 
And people are starting to come out and come to Jesus and the disciples to meet this guy that has changed this woman in a way we don't know because it's not fully revealed, but we know something is different because they're listening to her. The disciples are worried about food. And Jesus says to them, look, and I, I, I can almost visualize that Jesus is pointing to Samaria. And maybe there's people that are coming out of the town already. You can see them in the distance walking to them. Look, the harvest is plentiful. Are you ready? Because there's not many workers willing to do it. I think Jesus is calling out the disciples in that they had the blinders on. Because if you think about it, you have this town, you have this city, and over here you have this well. And they're walking, Jesus the disciples, Jesus goes, I'm going to stop here, I'm tired. They're like, okay, that's okay, Jesus, we'll go get some food and bring it back. And they're going to walk this path. Now, if you travel anywhere, you're going to take the roads, right? You're not going to weave off one way or the other. You're going to take what the most direct path is. And the most direct path to a city from a well would be directly from the well to the city. You're going to be varying off. You're going to make the shortest distance. And if you're traveling, you're going to take the road that's well-traveled because that's the safe road to take. And so I could almost imagine, because you think about it, it wasn't long between them going to the well, to the city, and back. They may have been walking, and they saw this lady and went, that's a woman by herself, middle of the day. We're going to go out and around because we don't like Sumerians. And they're going to go walk to town, and they probably... I, I, this is speculation. I'll, I'll, I'll concede that. But it, you can almost imagine that they walked around her and saw her going to Jesus. And when they went to town, you can imagine that they went, these are Samaritans. I don't really care for them. I'm going to get our food and I'm going to go back because my, my Jesus, my rabbi is hungry. And so you know, they were oblivious to the community. And Jesus here is saying, open your eyes, look up. You're worried about food, you're worried about water, you're worried about all these physical things, and you're missing that all these people are ready for the harvest. They're ready to know who I am as the Messiah, as Jesus just revealed to the woman at the well. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That's her testimony. Jesus knows me. Come check him out. Come and see. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And many more believed because of his words. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Her testimony was, come and see, come check it out. And their response was, we heard your testimony, we thought that was pretty cool. He knew you, but you, you never met him before. But now we believe because of what we experienced. And it took days, it took a couple days. Many believed. I want to make it clear, there's a time and place that we sit down with somebody that hears the gospel, lay it out, lay all the theological points out, and say, you need to know Jesus. But here in the story, we see a different example. We see the power of a testimony of going, here's what God's done, that God knows me. 
And because God knows me, I want you to know him and come check it out. Come spend some time. Listen. Listen to the truth and let the Spirit work. How often do we share what God's done in our lives? Has God done anything lately in our lives? And if he has, who have we shared that with? Here's what God did on Sunday. I, I, I got moved in this way and I, I think this is what God is, what God is saying to me. Can you come to Memorial? Come check it out with me. Let's, let's, let's go hear it together. It could be pretty simple, right? We don't have to have all the answers because if you notice Jesus, when he got in, questions asked, he kind of went, I understand your question, but that's not the point. The point is I want you to know who I am. And he, he ignored some questions. You know, that's okay. When you share the gospel, when you talk with people, they might ask you, it's like, what about this? Or what about that? And you go, honestly, I don't know. Here's what I do know. Jesus knows me. And I want you to make it very clear that if you're here today, you're here for a reason. Jesus had to go to Samaria, even though he could have bypassed it. That's what they did. But it said he had to. There's a reason that Jesus was there. There's a reason he was there in the middle of the day. There's a reason this woman came in the middle of the day. To experience who he is. And you're here today to hear God's word, to hear his truth. And God has you here for a reason. As the worship team comes up, we're going to move to a time of response. What is your testimony? What has God done in your life? And maybe you're sitting here going, God may know me, but I don't know him. So my first question is, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you know Jesus that he died and paid the price for our sins? Do you know that Jesus knows everything you ever did? All the good, all the bad, all the ugly, all the sin. And he goes, you know what? I'm paying the price for you anyways. I want you to know me. And if that's you and you haven't understood what it means that Jesus knows you and that you know Jesus, I would love to talk with you about that today. Many of you sitting here have jobs, you're retired, you see people every day, and you believe that in Jesus and you know him and he knows you. I would ask that you spend some time praying, God, open my eyes to the harvest around me. Open my eyes to those I interact with every day. And how can I share the testimony of who God is and invite them in, invite them to church, invite them into my home? Give me the courage to do that. There's often a phrase that's used, and it's, it's been used a lot with the Southern Baptists, who's your one to share with? Who's that one person? And if you're like me, my mind immediately goes to who's the most wretched person that I know? Who needs Jesus the most? Because they really need Jesus. And I overlook times the people that you know what? They're really cool. They're a nice guy. They're a nice girl. They're friendly. They're polite. Like, they're a good example to society. And you know what? They need Jesus just as much. So let's pray. God, open my eyes to see who's around me that I can simply go, here's what God's done in my life. Come join me in that. Come check out who this Jesus is. Because Jesus knows me. And I'll be honest with you. Jesus knows you better than you know you. So as we respond, let us pray. Let us God pray to God, open our eyes and give us boldness to share 
who he is through our testimonies, what he's done in our lives. Heavenly Father, I praise you that Jesus took time in the middle of the day, in the hottest part of the day, to share with the woman that he is the Messiah. And I praise you that she had the boldness to go to a town and say, come meet the guy who knows me. Come meet the one who is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And I pray that we would have the boldness to invite others in to come see the gospel preached here at Memorial, to see the gospel shared in our homes, to see that the truth of God and the Spirit of God walks hand in hand together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.